theyeshiva.net. So the summation of Peter Gimel and Peter Gdalad is that uh, one cannot reach and experience the ultimate of Torah, which is the Yirigdala, the Yiri law, the higher year, which comes from the fact that the Neshama, the Maslow of the Neshama experiences the Ein Saif, the infinity, Saif of Kalalman, unless the person brings forth first the lower level of Yira, Yira Tata, which represents the Saif Tasim Alecha Melech, the commitment to the relationship, the commitment to Kiyom HaMitzvah Bepoyal Mamish, just like the Kiddushin is the prerequisite for the Nisuyan, first you have an external connection, but it's the framework, it's the commitment, it's the ring that demonstrates a powerful, potent relationship that then allows for a yichut pnimi, for an internalized, intimate relationship to blossom and develop within a safe environment that will not be breached, will not be violated, will not be abused. And that's why we say, Katshenu secha, and then Besein Chalkenu secha. Kiddushin happens through mitzvahs, and Bia, intimacy, happens through understanding of Torah. So there is imein yira ein chachma. Without yira, yira tata, there will not be chachma. This is the yira of Kabbalah's al mitzvahs. And then there is imein chachma ein yira. Without chachma's atayra, there will not be the higher yira law. By matan tayra, the Jewish people experienced the ein saif without yira tata because they didn't have mitzvahs yet. But that was a gift. But they understood then that for generations, for eternity, the way this will be able to be experienced is through the system of Nasa Venishma, meaning the Seder Avodah has to be first Nasa, which is Yiratata, and then Nishma, which is Torah, which is the prerequisite to Yiratata, and that's the Nasa that comes before before the Nishma. And that's why by Kriyashma, Chazal said, you can't have Parsha Rishayna without Parsha Shniya. Parsha Rishayna is Torah, Rishinantam Lovanecha, Parsha Shniya is mitzvahs. Parsha Rishonah is like Yireh Law. Parsha Shniya is Yireh Tata. So just to clarify, Parsha Rishonah, you would say, so Parsha Rishonah should come second because you first need Nasa. But the Nekud is that Kriyash, the Nekud of Kriyash is Yireh Law. That's, the Nikud, that's why you start off with Parsha Rishonah. But we're emphasizing that you cannot just have Yireh Law. There's going to have to be an element of Yireh Tata. So there has to be also Kabbalah Sal Mitzvahs, even though in Krishna Taka comes second. But the point is, that Kriya Shema, the focus is Yiri Law. But nonetheless, there's no Yiri Law if it's divorced from Yiri Tata, if it's divorced from Mitzvahs. Because you don't have the environment in order in which this Yiri Law can be experienced. Because, no, in previous davening, the previous parts of davening apparently are connected to Yiri Tata. But even in Kriya Shema itself, where you're already focused on Yiri law, even there, Chazal tell us that you have to have Parsha Rishayna together with Parsha Shniya. There's a word from the Kotzke Rebbe. It's not Mamish the same word, but it's just it, it's reminiscent of it in some ways. He says, we say in Kriyashma, Later also, Ask the Kotzke Lechoyed, it should have said, place these words in your heart. Not on your heart, right? 
I'll tell you, I want these words should go into your heart. They should enter your heart. They shouldn't sit on your heart. So he answers as follows. He says, most days, human, the human heart is not open. There's no way that these words are penetrating your heart. They are not entering into your heart. The heart is plugged, closed, sealed. The question is, with seven locks, with a hundred locks, with a... Uh, thick security lock that nobody is going to break, or with maybe a little bit of a, an easier lock to break through. But a lock there is. So all Hashem asks of the person is, You pile up the words on top of your heart. He says, so on top of your heart is going to be a huge mountain of words. One day your heart is going to open up. If there was something there before, it will all go right into your heart. If there was nothing there, the heart will open up. The heart will be open, but there will be nothing to enter into the heart because you did not do the prep work before. So in many ways, one cannot expect... You know, huh? to that, the first ones were the words were in the speaking mind here, right? In other words, to really emotionally, emotionally he's penetrate the person. He's talking about your moyach, right? Well, the moyach, the way it affects emotions... Right. There's mayach, cerebral, just, you know, scholastic, a computer type of understanding. Levavcha, he means that you emote from it. It excites you. It, it moves you. You're enthusiastic about you. So he says, the kavana is not always to emote. But sometimes when you process real information, it sits there. And when that day will come and you will open up, ah, it will all settle in. But if you don't have anything there, your heart will open up. You'll get very emotional. You'll cry. You'll weep, you'll feel this cosmic oneness or spiritual ecstasy, but ultimately there'll be nothing tangible that lasts after the heart closes up. The heart, let's say, opens up for an hour, say for a day, if you're mamish lucky. It closes back up, what's left? Nothing. It was like a moment, you know, you feel people have spiritual moments of, of meditation, of transcendence. These are things that people have, you know, especially sensitive people, spiritual people. But what are you going to fill it with? You need something to fill it with. In many ways, I would say that's Kiddushin and Nisuyin. Kiddushin is not yet Yichut Pnimi, but it's the framework, it's the commitment that allows that when you're open and when you allow yourself to experience the other person, it will be able to work. Because there is a, a loyalty, there's a trust, there's a commitment. But without it, you know, people sometimes are capable of emotional intimacy but it's very hard to create an everlasting uh, commitment, a binyan adeyam, because it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. The second column on 32. <coughs> Even though the Hizgalos of Matan Taira was as a gift, as he said, not according to the regular Seder Avoida, nonetheless there was still some preparation. What was the preparation? The Svira Sa'imer. The Jewish people counted. It's true, they, there was no mitzvah of Svira Sa'imer then. But the seven weeks, actually, as Duran famously says, that they, uh, the end of Pesachim, that they actually counted, they anticipated the days. So the seven weeks, that was, that was the preparation. 
Zayin Shavuos Tisper Loch Mehachel Chermes Bakama. You should count seven, seven days. I mean seven, uh, seven weeks. Va'inyan Kihine Peter Shinyan Svira Saimiru. The concept of Svira Saimiru. Kepeter Svira Meloshin Ha'ara. The word Svira means a count, but it also comes from the word sapphire, a ray, a light, a glow, like Evan Sapir, a sapphire stone. It's a gl- uniquely glowing uh, diamond. So Svira. Sphiris Aimer means not only the count of the Aimer, but the shining, the glow. Sphiris <coughs> Aimer means you bring in light, you, 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 you create a flow of energy to the Aimer. What's the Aimer? Aimer was a measurement of flour which came in as from barley, which is Michael Behema. Chazal tell us, Mishnah and Saitan, Gemariam Sachim in the beginning, that Chitim is Michael Adam, and Sa'irim barley is. Animal fodder. So Sphira Saimer means to bring light to the Oimer. What does it mean to the Oimer? To Michael Bahama Dahainu, Chiyus Hanefesh Abahamas Bezayan Midas Ativius Hamaspashtas Vimen. The Oimer, which comes from barley, which is the food of the animal from which she lives, represents the life of the animal soul, which are her natural midas, her natural inclinations. Because food gives us the nutrients from which it from which we create our which enter into our bloodstream. Ki adam hua nefesh, that's how we live. So the chiyus of the nefesh of Bahamas is represented by its food. And this is expressed in her seven natural middays, her seven natural emotions that extend from her, that, 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 are, that express her. So the avoid of Sphira Sa'imer is Sphira, to bring light into the life of the animal soul, into all of her seven middays. V'tzarech l'hoyerais and l'zachichan. One ought to illuminate them, to light them up, and to refine them. Zachachan is from the word zichuch, zach, like shemen zayez zach. Clear, refinement. Zichuch, lezachech. Shetiyena nechlolaz bemidaz dikdusha. That they should be included, in other words, they should become aligned with the holy midas, like we say in the Pasuk and Divriya Yomam Lecha, Shem Agdullah Vagvura, Vatiferes, Vanetzach Vahoid, so that the midas tivias and the Nefesh Abhamas should become aligned with. The midas of holiness, the pchinas iskafia v'ishapcha, either in the model of iskafia, or in the model of ishapcha. Iskafia would mean subjugation. Ishapcha would mean transformation, which are two models in Avodas Hashem. Sometimes you subdue a midah, and sometimes you actually reorient it. You redefine it. You harness it in a very positive direction. You don't subdue it. Subdue it means you say no to it. You say, this is not for me at the moment. I understand I f- you feel this way, but it's not where we're going. Ishapcha is already a higher mode where you transform it. In other words, you take it and you reorient it into the positive. You recognize its positive skills, its positive opportunities, and you you transform it, you change it. So that's And both models exist constantly in Avedis Hashem. Sometimes we're called on to do Ishapcha, and sometimes we're called on to do Ishapcha. Ishapcha comes from the word... Lichfois, koifen oisai, right? Koifen, compel, force, subdue. Ishabcha comes from the word venapoichu, to transform. Lahapoich, lahapech. Vahainu aideam shachas hayoim yoim. The zichuch of the midas happens, that they themselves are transformed by, that's why we say hayoim yoim echad loimer, hayoim yoim sheni. Yoim represents revelation. The Apostle says in Bereshis, vayikra lakim laoir, yoim. Hashem defined the light as the day. In other words, day represents light. Shahu, essentially, this is Hamshach is Baruch In order to illuminate the Nefesh Bahamas' Midas, 
It's to bring forth Chachma Ilah, Hashem's wisdom. Shehu Oir Vizera Zarua Hamahapchim Chuli Umaat Oir Doicha Harbi Choshech. This is a light. A little light expels a lot of darkness. This light of Chachm is called Oir Vizera Zarua. It's the light and the Zera Zarua, the seed that's planted in the Kedusha of the Nefesh Alakis, which can then transform the animal soul. In other words, the light that's planted, that's sown, Zarua, in the godly soul can transform the Koyachatainug of the Nefesh of Bahamas. That's why the Pasuk says you should start counting from what the, when the sickle hits the stalk. Chermes is the sickle. Kama is the stalk of grain. You harvest the grain with a sickle, the barley, and then you start counting the Omer. Because they would harvest it, the Mitzoy, the first night of Pesach, meaning Tazayinus in that night. And the next morning they would offer it in the Beis Hamidosh, and we would start counting. The second day of Pesach, we start counting. Chermes is Miloshin Hachrim Tachrimim. Chermes means a sickle which, which cuts down the harvest. From the word, why is a chermes called a sickle? It's from the word hachrim, chayrim. Hachrim dachrim means to destroy them because the sickle cuts down the grain. Kama, hein hamidah, shein kama is v'gam nitzabes hal amdan b'maymed kiyum v'chazak b'takfon b'tivon k'teldaisan. Kama, which literally means the standing stalks of grain, also represents the midas because the midas stand and they're firm with a tremendous maimed. They're very powerful and firm. And if you don't affect them the way they are in their nature, they seem unchangeable. They seem mighty. A person needs to lift up a sickle. The midas are not as etched in stone as they may seem. One can take a sickle and elevate them, literally remove them from their from their uh, soil, and elevate them and sublimate them that they should become part of the Midas of Kedusha. So a person's Midas, although we have very strong emotions, so at face value the emotion is a comma. It stands erect, and one doesn't feel that they can change it, they can reorient it, they could refine it, they could subdue it, because when we have an emotion, it sometimes becomes mentally overwhelming and there's nothing else outside of the emotion because we don't see it in the context of a larger picture. The emotion completely takes us over. You know that, right? You sometimes have an emotion, you're hurt. Somebody tells you something, and you, let's say your spouse or somebody else close to you says, says to you something, and you get this overwhelming emotion of hurt, or of anger, or frustration, <coughs> or of despair, or whatever it is, hatred, animosity, all the middays that the natural animal soul experiences. So what does one do? Don't just surrender to it and succumb to it. You have to approach it with a sickle. What does it mean, approach it with a sickle? Approach it with a sickle means you have to be able to look what's behind the midah. You have to be able to see what underlies the midah. And then, ultimately, you could learn how to transform it. Or sometimes you just have to learn to ignore it. That's called eskafya, eshapcha. Eskafya means you ignore it. Ishabcha means you transform it. Sometimes you're not capable of transforming it. But it doesn't mean you have to embrace it and sanctify it. It doesn't mean you have to start breaking windows or hollering or screaming or quitting just because you had an emotion. Ishabcha would mean, now I ignore. Ishabcha would mean you go into it and you ultimately realize that it's not evil essentially. There's a certain energy that it is 
feeding off upon, and if you could trace it back to its source, to its source, that's the if you can go back to the seed of your emotion, if you can go back to the seed, in other words, where it comes from, what its original source, you may find that it's actually coming from a very innocent and positive space, and therefore, actually, in the right context and with the right help, that very emotion could become a catalyst and a springboard for a positive relationship. As those who work on themselves intensely know very well from their own lives. So how do you differentiate between emotion and a media, like a person's hardwired with a particular media? A person? A person is hardwired in a certain way. He's right. more cerebral, he's more intuitive. Right. That, that media is, is not subject to this... Right. You don't, you, we're not talking about it to bring... Yeah. In other words, here we're talking about that the Nefesh Abaham, every person has an animal soul, and the animal soul, like an animal, functions basically with seven Midas. Chesed, Gvuratif, Eres, Netzach, Hoid, Yisoyed, and Malchus. Sphira Soimer is the first thing is you take a sickle to the grain and you harvest it. That's the beginning of the Avoida. Before counting is Ktsira Soimer. What does this represent psychologically in a person's life? We all have our personalities that are erect. They're like stalks of grain. Now when you look at the stalks of grain, they look very impressive, but of course a wind sways them back and forth. But they still remain in one space. So sometimes a person has certain emotions and they never change. They always get upset about the same things, by the same people, by the same situations. They're always jealous from the same people, from the same situations. They're full of annoyance or hate or frustration or animosity or envy, different forms of jealousy. They're always suffering from insecurity or lack of confidence, whatever it is. Issues of selfishness or narcissism. There's chesed, there's gvura, there's teferis. Chesed means to have, you know, excessive love, no boundaries. Gvura is very harsh, very selfish, no ability to connect, and so on and so forth. Teferis is manipulative. Netzach is uh, ambition with no boundaries. Hoides, they feel like a shmata. I'm talking about emotions of the animal soul that are not essentially negative, but they could be harnessed and they could be expressed in very destructive ways. So the worst thing is not to take a sickle. In other words, to believe that this is who you are and this is who you're destined to be, and you just have to make peace with it. So the idea of Ksira Sa'imer is that you take the chemres from the word hachrim tachrimim, and you bring them to the kama, and you know that there is a possibility to affect these middas. Either iskafya means they don't have to take over your life, or ishapcha, they can even be transformed into something very positive and powerful. Because each middah comes from a core. The animal is not evil by nature, by in essence. It may be cute. It's just an animal. So if it's not trained, you know, if your dog is not trained, you become a monster. As everybody knows, if an animal is not trained, it could take over your whole life. It decides that it's the master, and so on and so forth. So the Nefesh Bahamas needs to be educated and disciplined and refined. And its middahs have to be uplifted. Well, in order to make it good, you first have to ignore it. Because if there's no ignoring it, it could just take over a life. Ignoring it is a big avoid. Ignoring it is not repression. Ignoring it means I choose not to allow this to become the defining model of who I am. Ignoring a certain media means, let's say, as I give you once an example, if you're driving in your car and you're you're sitting by your steering wheel, and there's a voice in the back seat who says, take the red light, take the red light, take the red light. 
Okay, do you have to listen to the voice? No, you tell him, thank you, but no thank you. There's a truck coming, and thank and you thank God that you're sitting at the steering at the, at the steering wheel and not him. But now I have a question. What if that voice is in you? <laughs> There's a voice in you. Take the red light, take the red light. What do you have to do? What you have to do is you have to say, you know what? That voice is not going to be given the, the, the steering wheel. That voice is going to be quarantined. It's going to be defined as a voice. So this is the story of life. We have voices all day. One voice says, she hates me. He hates me. This will never happen. I, 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 we don't realize what those voices are because we think we are our voices. It takes a lot of work to distinguish between you and your voices. You are not your voices. You are not your thoughts. The thought that this is a terrible marriage is a thought. doesn't mean it's a terrible marriage. It's a thought that it's a terrible marriage. Remember that. Thoughts are not all of reality. Sometimes thoughts are thoughts. Real. Huh? Sometimes there's a real voice from somebody. You got to hear it. Or you gotta... Fine. But it's outside of you. But my point is even a voice inside of you is outside of you. What do I mean outside of you? It, it's not the whole picture. It's not the whole self. If I learn to do this and I learn to train myself this way, I can identify if I have a deep issue with uh, insecurity or a deep issue with I'm not comfortable with myself. So whenever somebody criticizes me, my original thought is they're horrible, they're evil. I, I can't be in their presence. Really what I'm saying is, not that they're evil and I can't be in their presence, I feel so much pain because their words triggered my sense of inadequacy. You understand? But I don't say that because my nefesh of Bahamas has not been trained to be open to that truth. Because it's, it's, it's hard, it's embarrassing. All I'm trained to do is, he's horrible, I want to cut off every relationship. How is that going to help? It's just putting a band-aid. A much more honest identification is, I am really hurt. Now, why am I hurt? It's by what he said. It's by what I heard him say. But why did I hear him say this? That happens to do completely with me. It has to do with my own sense of inadequacy. So what if I could go and confront that? What if I feel you can go to, the, imagine you're close to this person, you can tell this person, you know, I have this and this issue, and what you said triggered it. So now what you're actually doing is, this very emotion becomes a catalyst and a springboard for tremendous growth. And it really turns out that the emotion is coming from your innocence, your vulnerability. You want to have value. Now having value is not an evil thing. So the emotion of hate, I'm going to ostracize you, I'm cutting you out of my life, because you always say things that destroy me. And suddenly you see, no, no, you were just an innocent child asking to have significance and value. If you go through this process, this is called a sapcha, because the next time, or maybe the next month or the next year, this emotion will be experienced very differently. The same emotion, but it was transformed. Why? Because you went back to the seed. You went back to the seed. You went back to the source of it. You look at a big tree. It's a big monster, but really it comes from a very pure, innocent seed. And the seed is a whole different picture. That's the power of Ishapcha. But that's a very big avoid. First, you have to start with Eskafia. Eskafia means this is coming, this emotion is coming from a lower part of myself, and I don't want him to have the, dry, the, 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 the steering wheel. That's it. 
I'm not transforming the emotion, I'm just identifying which part of me is speaking, and do I want that part to rule my life? If I have an addiction, and the addiction has powerful emotions, this is exactly what I need right now. I have nothing else in my world. I cannot get rid of the addiction at the moment. I can't do a sabcha right now. Maybe many years, and even then you've got to be very careful. Real people in recovery will always identify themselves as addicts. I remember I was once at an addict, uh, uh, a Shabbaton for recovery. So somebody got up and he said, uh, you know, welcome, uh, what, is, what do they say? Uh, I, am, uh, I am so-and-so, and I'm part of the program. Everybody applauds. So he's been sober for 41 years. 41 years. I went over to the master and I said, you called yourself an addict. You said, I am an addict for this and this. But you're sober 41 years. I'll never forget what he said, Rabbi Jacobson, the day I stop calling myself an addict, I will become an addict. The day I stop calling myself an addict, in other words, the day I take my recovery for granted, I'm a healthy person, that's the day I will become an addict. Why? Because I will ignore the devil. I have to tell myself every day that there's a devil in me that's about to destroy me, and I stand with a gun. The moment I put down my gun, I will be di- I will die. I will be defeated. Now that's a very, very uh, mature and genuine observation in life. It's tragic, but it's also noble. It's heroic. It's heroic. In Tanya, the Balatanya says in Perikid Gimel, Chazal say in so he says, why? This is not a good thing for self-confidence, right? We know if Tati, Mami, your teachers, your Rosh Hashiva, your Rebbe, your Mashgiach says, you're a wonderful bocher. You look at them and you say, no, no, I'm horrible, I'm evil. It's not a good thing. So he says something beautiful. He says, doesn't say, hey, beinecha, Russia. He says, hey, beinecha, karasha. And he explains that a person should always remember that he has a condition. Never take your behavior for granted and believe that you're essentially liberated from all negative voices and influences. Because the moment that happens, you're taka going to fall. Not that you should look at yourself as a bad person. You should understand that you're capable of crossing the red line at any minute. I once told a mice at one of the Munashir. It's a very powerful story, especially with some recent news that's a little disturb, a little or a lot disturbing. There was a, a I heard this from a Paisik in Israel, Farkash. So there was a Polish Rebbe, uh, no, Rebbe was like a tzaddik in Poland, a good He was a, a holy man, and uh, he was a widower. So they had a, a bacher who stayed with him, so he shouldn't be alone. He also had a maid, a shiksa, a Polish non-Jewish woman who worked in the house. She was an elderly woman in her 70s. One night, it was winter in Poland, the bocher tells the Rebbe, his Rebbe, he has to go do something for 20 minutes, and he'll be right back. So he leaves the house. He comes back 20 minutes later, and this man, who's 90 years old, a Rebbe in Poland, is standing outside, and it's freezing. It's a winter night in Poland. And the poor man, he has a coat, but it's a thin coat, and he's trembling. So he goes over to they go into the house, he apologizes. He says, <laughs> he says, I didn't know you're gonna come out, stay outside. I'm so sorry, I would have not left. Why'd you stay outside? He says, It's Yichud. He says the, the shiks is in the house, it's Yichud, I'm not allowed to be in the house. 
So he says, Rebbe, let's face it. You are 90 years old. <laughs> she is 75 years old. And let's face it. She's not Esther Hamalka. She's an old woman and not very, you know, beautiful physically. What's, what's the, what's the chashasher? So he looks at him and he said, Bochino. In Yiddish he says, Mit mein yei in finif minut, ver ich jung und sie schein. With my yei in five minutes I become young and she becomes beautiful. Now I think that's a beautiful story. The reason it's a beautiful story is because he was aware of human nature. The Gemara says, Eina Petrupus Laraius. The moment you start believing you're liberated, you sometimes become the greatest slave. That's why you always have to have this model of Escafia, always. There's the ability, always the ability to say there's a voice, but you know what? I'm choosing not to follow it. It's not the reflection of the self. So ignoring is a good thing? Ignoring is a good thing. Repressing is not a good thing. There's a difference between ignoring and repressing. Separate. Repre- uh, separating. Separating, not ignoring, separating, very good. What we call boirer. Boirer is a very good thing. It's one of the malachas in the Mishkan. Not for Shabbos, but all week you have to do boirer. Boirer means separating. This is psoilus and this is oichel. Nothing wrong. You have a mixture. That's why you have a mind to be boirer. Shabbos boirer is aser. But the middle of the week, boirer is a chiyof. That's what boirer is. In fact, the body is doing boirer most of the day and most of the night. What do you think your body is doing? We eat all the junk in the world, and then the body is busy doing boirer. Our poor bodies have to constantly respond to our poor choices. The body's always, okay, this is good, this is going to the Besakise. But emotionally, we're always doing boirer. Iskafi is boirer. And it's a very deep avoider. To be able to say, this is psoilus, and therefore it's not me, or it's not, it's me, but it's not all of me, and it's not who I want to be because it's not my essence, it's a lower me, it's my nefesh Bahamas, that's boyer. That's a very deep avoider. And you always have to have that. Ishabcha is, I actually get into the emotion, I trace it back to its original source. I come to realize that its manifestation may be negative, but its core is not negative, and therefore I can actually reorient it and transform it. Yutaifus? So Kirasha means, he says, like a Benini. In other words, that it's not that he's a Russia. He may not be a Russia. He may be a Tzaddik, actually. But Kirasha means that he shouldn't think that he's completely liberated from the voices in him that any moment can turn him into a Russia. This is why I said the story about the addict. The moment he says, I'm not an addict, in other words, I'm free. We tell a Nazar, the Gemara says, you tell a Nazar, don't go near the vineyard. Vineyard. Why? Because in five minutes. In five minutes. Now, real Jews know this very well about themselves. They know that in five minutes, everything changes. I, he's on top of the world. On top of the world, and tomorrow he's on bottom of the world. That's how it was. Why? Because you don't stand guard every minute to what's going on inside. You can lose everything. And this is what happens. It happens. No person, no person is immune to these situations. This is the role of Iskafia, to choose. And then this is Hapcha. You don't have to choose. You actually transform. In a way, you embrace it.
You embrace it. Are we always capable of a sabcha? No. There's times for a skafya, times for a sabcha. It's the difference of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and La'asid Lava. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was Kibarach Ha'am. They ran away. Why'd they run away? Because it was part of them. La'asid Lava, it says, Loi b'chipazin te'lechu. Ki in b'shuva v'anachas te'vasheyon. You won't have to run. Because you don't have to run. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, they had to run because they had to run from themselves. You could take a Jew out of Mitzrayim. You can't take Mitzrayim out of the Jew, right? They say you could take the Jews out of Russia. You can't take Russia out of the Jews. You could take Golos. You could take a Jew out of Golos. You can't take. You could take Mitzrayim. You could take a Jew out of Mitzrayim, but Mitzrayim is inside, so you have to run. You're always running. You're running from yourself, from a part of yourself. Laosid love there'll be transformation. So it says And yet, even when Mashiach comes, that we say in the Haggadah. What's the Chiddush? The Chiddush is that even when the time of Ishapcha, which is La'asad Lava, we're still going to recall the moments of Iskafia because Iskafia has a tremendous nobility to it, has a tremendous majesty to it. It has something that Ishapcha doesn't have. Ishapcha, in a way, is much harder, but it also it means you're a transformed person. Iskafia has something that Ishapcha doesn't have, and that is that within your state of unholiness, you're still holy. And that's a very powerful idea. It's like the difference of Shabbos and weekdays. Shabbos, there's no boyer. Weekdays, within a state of boyer, within a state of psalis, you still are an Ayved Hashem. In other words, you bring godliness even to a place of unholiness, which has a unique majesty all of itself. So, v'hine kol hazayin shavuos, all the seven weeks, himibchines melchame shal nefesh shal the Hachana of Matan Torah is the seven weeks of Sphere Saimer, is the war of the Nefesh Alekis with the Yetzahara and the Nefesh Bahamas. There's the Yetzahara, the negative inclination, and the animal soul. To create both Iskafi and Ishapcha. Iskafi means, as explained, the ability to separate, the ability to subdue, and his hapcha is to transform. And all of this comes The power to elevate and refine the animal soul always comes from chachma. The Zayar says, All boirer, all birur, the word boirer, select, clarify, separate, comes from chachma. And... Uh, And this is all Mabchinas meaning the evolution of the divine energy, which always begins with Chachma and then goes down, Bina, Chesed, Kvuritiferis, etc. So this is all from Hishtalshalus, from Chachma and below, because the Biru starts from Chachma, Achagmar Amalchama, after the end of the war. Shagamar Vinatzach Kalas, Shavinatzach Vinitzach Kalas, Soinim Hain Zayin Midisatim Lakavshanolachnion. A person finished and was victorious over all the enemies, meaning. The seven natural midas to conquer them and to subdue them, as I may love them, and them is galaratzinalim baruchu. Then automatically and on its own, the divine will gets revealed. That will which is beyond hishtalshul is beyond the evolution of the world. That which encompasses and transcends all the worlds. That equates the higher and the lower. So, in other words, after the avoid. 
today, generally, the system is Nasa Venishma, first Nasa, then Nishma, Yuri Tata, then Yuri Lok. Even by Matan Torah, where it started off with Yuri Lok, because there were no mitzvahs, they still prepared themselves seven weeks, which the seven weeks is dealing with the Midas, all the seven Midas of the animal soul, Svartan Lecha, to make them glow, Svartan from the word sapphire, to make them glow. Which is you bring in light to your animal food, to the chius of your animal, you shine light on the life force of your animal soul. That's what Svira Saimer means. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful pirush. Svira. You shine a light on the oimer, on the food of your animal, meaning oimer is Michael Bahamut, it's barley. On the energy of your animal, you shine a light and you illuminate it, you elevate it, you sublimate it, either through a skafia, through a sapcha. When this is done, so then came Matan Teda, what's Matan Teda? The ability to be able to experience the divine will, which is completely beyond any structure and restriction relatable to the world. It's Shava, Mashva, Katan, Vagadal. So first he starts off with the Birur, all the way of his, all the Midas, which comes from Chachma, and then automatically you have the Gilui of Soiv of Kalam. And once a person experiences the revelation of Saiv, there's no war anymore. Because everything is one. And from a Rishus HaRabim, everything becomes a Rishus HaYachid for God's unity. We learned about the four Rishus of Shabbos, spiritually speaking. Atzilus is Rishus HaYachid. And then you have you have Makibtur, you have Karmelis, you have Rishus HaRabim, which is this world. You have different Rishus but in the ultimate place of Saiv of Kalam, and then you have the ultimate Rishus HaYachid. All the multiplicity becomes one private domain which represents God's unity, so there's no war anymore. There's no Melchama. A battle exists only when there's two forces that compete with each other. But, well, down here is a Rishus HaRabim, so when you're going up from here, you start off with Rabim, everything is fragmented, Everybody's on their own, and then the higher, the closer you get to the core, the more private, the more oneness there is. So in this place, there's absolutely no melchama because there's no opposition. The whole melchama exists only when a person does not feel the presence of Hashem in them. The moment a person feels the presence of Hashem in them, then there's no battle between the two souls. There's no battle between these midas and those midas because one could clearly see the sight of kalalman, which is shavu mashvakatan megadol. So then. There's oneness and harmony that pervades everything. So the multiplicity is Rishus HaRabim, fragmentation. Rishus HaYachid is oneness. When a person reaches a space where they could see the divine perspective, the Saiv of Kalalman, the divine perspective which is even transcends the structure of the worlds, then there's absolutely no battle anymore, no Mulchama between the various forces in them because they see it all as a singular expression of the divine, and there's absolutely not even a differentiation between the two. All of them are just from seeing from a divine perspective. So that's where there's absolutely no melchama. Take a metaphor of a body. The limbs of the body are divided into individual limbs according to their chemistry and makeup. The power of sight in the eye. This is a head, this is a foot. The body is completely <laughs> fragmented on one level. There's so many different organs. But they unite. And they all become unified. 
and all the parts of the body obey the will of the person. So this muscle that when the Ratzon alien gets revealed, there's achtos, there's no melchama, we see also by a person in the will of a person, the kayach haratzen of a person. We all know, when it comes to the body and the soul, the soul's faculties, each kayach is enclosed or manifested in a different limb. And that particular limb or organ is created in a way, it's designed in a way that it could become a vessel for that particular kayach. You cannot smell with your eyes, you cannot see with your nose, and you cannot run with your mouth. Just like every aver, every aver has its particular function and the aspect of the brain. In the brain you have everything. You have the central nervous system. But every limb facilitates and brings out and lives out a particular ability that exists in the brain, which exists in the soul and is manifested in the brain. So therefore, the arm this is the brilliance of, of biology, of physiology, of the body is created, that every aver, every, every, literally every aver, aver of all the 248 organs in the body are orchestrated, their chemistries, in a way that they could become facilitators of this particular function. And the brilliance of it is dazzling, nothing superfluous, nothing missing, exactly what it needs in order to be able to express a particular koyach, a particular function, that ultimately exists in the soul, but is manifested through this particular aver. So the kidney does its thing, and the pancreas does its thing, and the liver does its thing, and of course the heart does its thing, and the nose does its. Whether it's the outside avarim or the inside avarim. Then you have the power of will. The koyach of rotsen is not limited to any particular space in the body. A person decides he wants to go somewhere shopping, or he wants to go somewhere to meet somebody for an appointment. So because of this Ratzin, his legs start moving, he starts walking, and he goes there. So which limb decided to walk? His legs decided to walk. So you'll say his brain. His brain decided to walk, wanted to walk, and therefore, and therefore, he, uh, therefore he walks. But it's something that it directly affects all the Ivarim of the body, all the Ivarim of the body are, uh, are uh, affected and reflected from that Ratzin. They, they are affected by that Ratzin. In other words, Ratzin is not limited to a particular Aver. You want something, so every organ of the body, a healthy body, obeys the Ratzin of the person, obeys the will of the person. So it's not a Koyach Prati, it's not an individual Koyach in a particular Aver, whether the arm or the leg. But this is it's a koyach kloli. It's a general koyach that defines all of the elements of the body and where they're all united. So he says, bizgalus So when the Ratzin alien gets revealed, everything goes under Kedusha with complete unity without any period. Just like in the Guf, the whole guf, all the different avarim of the guf, are all united by Yichud Gomer in the sense of that they are all committed to the rutsin of a person. That's the power of will. The power of a will is that nothing stands in the way of will. When a person wants something, so ultimately all of the avarim respond because all of them are influenced by the power of the will. All of them surrender to the power of the will. 
And even if the person is not in the mood, in other words, it may be difficult for a particular limb, may be difficult to move. I'm not in the mood of walking, I'm not in the mood of exercising, I'm not in the mood of running, I'm not in the mood of meeting you. But the power of Ratzon is, it transcends. And that's why it's a marshal for Saivev Kal Alman. Looks like we have Mamali and Saivev. Mamali, the marshal is the relationship between the power of the soul to that organ. So every organ, every limb has its own unique energy that is tailor-made for it. Koyach HaRatzon encompasses all the limbs of the body. If you're in the mood, if you want something, then your brain, your intellectualism will work better. You'll understand better. If you're interested in learning or reading, it'll work better. You're running. Well, every, if you're interested in something, all the limbs will respond. If there's a Ratzon, it affects literally every single Kayach as part of it. Because on that level, they're really all, all united. So when the Ratzon Elyon also gets revealed, now there's no Mulchama anymore. Everything is completely one Rishos. So that's what happens after Svidus Oimer gets Nizgala, the Ratzon Elyon, the Soiv of Kalal. That's where the Pasuk says in Parshas Re'ei, that's why it says you should make a holiday of Shavuos to Hashem. And what do you give then? You give Nidvas Yotcha, the Nidava of your hand. Nidivus, generosity, is an emotion. So he's a generous person. It expresses itself in the hand, like everything expresses itself in the hand. But essentially, Nidava, like you say, Nidvas liboy hatayr. It comes from the lev, like we say by the mishka, called nidiv lev yeviyah. But by shvuas the lashon is nidvas yotchasher tite. She nidvas halev himurgeshes bargeshes halev. Nidvas halev is felt in the hergish of the heart. V'yesh misha oyev. And there's always somebody who loves. V'adayin ein zebchin is bittel mamish. Even though it's a great mida, but nonetheless it's still my heart, my emotion. There's still the I. There's still no complete oneness. When you have the gili of the Ratzon Elyon of Soiviv, Mizgala, Ratzon Shalomaylam and Alev. What gets revealed is the Ratzon that's higher than the heart. The Lev cannot be a clay kibble, a receptacle that can grasp and experience the higher will of Hashem so that's why Shvuas doesn't say Nidvas Lipcha, because the Chiddush of Shvuas was the Gili of Ratzon Ha'elyin, where there is complete Bittal, so therefore even a pure heart is not a Kali to experience it, because that is a Yesh Mishayev. So it's called Nidvas Yotcha. In other words, he gives to Hashem because it's his will, it's like the hand gives on its own. It's not just limited to his emotion, like the hand that responds to the Ratzon. That's why the puzzle says, The way it comes, from the word Hamshacha, the Nisina is a result from the Hamshacha of above. That's why the bread of Shvuas was Chametz. Pesach, you're not allowed to have Chametz. Shvuas, you had to have Chametz. The two loaves of bread they burned in the base of Mikdash was from Chametz. All Menachas, the whole year was only Matzah. Lechem upon him was Matzah. Only Shvuas, there was a mitzvah to bring Dafke Chametz. Ki Chametz Uloshin is Nasus. Chametz is inflated dough. It's exalted. 
On Pesach, you're not allowed to have chametz because chametz nurtures the klipa, the sitra achira, which represents arrogance. So that's why chametz is also on Pesach because arrogance is the source of all negativity. All midas rois in a person come from arrogance. Arrogance means you don't know your place in this world. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. So that is what chametz is. So shvuitz, mashenkin b'shvuitz. The natural midas have been refined and they go up to be included in Gdusha. Then, on the contrary, the Hisnasus, the sense of exaltedness on Shavuos is holy. This is an exaltedness that is holy. It says, To you, Hashem is Gdullah. So it's not arrogance. When you say Hashem's greatness, L'cha Hashem Agdullah, V'agvur, V'atiferis, this is Kedusha. It's not any more negative. Yeshus. V'ein sham yenikul eklipu v'sitra achir eklam. There's no nurture that goes to unholiness. Machmaz gilu yiratzen elyen baruchu shalamay lamay lamigadir ayishtal shalos. Because again, when this higher will of Hashem, save of Kalam, and completely beyond the structure of creation gets revealed, so then there's no klipa, there's no sitra achir. Then the self... The sense of exaltedness is absolutely pure. It's absolutely holy. There's no yunikah to sitra achira. So sometimes, in other words, there's two types of self-inflation. There's a self-inflation that's chametz on Pesach, that's forbidden, because that's a self-inflation that's actually not healthy for a person. It's where the person's arrogance can, be him, can make him insane, can make him, uh, could make him foolish. When an arrogant person, you can't listen to people, you can't be accountable. You can't say, I'm sorry. You can't acknowledge mistakes. You can't learn anything new. You're, you're overly self-conscious. You, come, you become completely obsessed with yourself. So therefore, a person requires the lack of chametz on Pesach. Because if they are in that space and they're not going to challenge it, they will ultimately remain in prison a whole, a whole, their whole life. Shavuos is a different chinah. Shvuas dafke chametz. Why dafke chametz? Because after the avayd of Sfiris Ha'aymer, where the person refines the midas, and they reach the man matan teresenu, which is yiri law, now the self, now the self is an expression of the divine self. If the self is an expression of the divine self, then on the contrary, the worth and the value of it is absolutely significant. It's the basis of Torah. That a person's value is non-negotiable. That a person's self-esteem, a person's esteem is infinite. A person's value is absolute. But it's not self-esteem as much as it's, it's divine esteem, so to speak. We speak a lot about self-esteem. Really, the real self-esteem is divine esteem. A person is a chelik alikami mal. A person is a part of Hashem. So therefore, l'cha Hashem automatically, that means that the person is great. But why is the person great? The person is great not because he on his own is arrogant and he on his own is the master of the world. Somebody once said about somebody, he's a self-made man and he worships his creator. Right? So we're not talking about that situation. We're talking about a human being who's completely aligned with his source. Like the Eivarim who are committed to the one Ratzin, 
so all of the limbs become unified, so then there's no sitra acher, then there's no clipper, then the self is an absolute vehicle and a conduit for the divine reality. So your chametz is like l'cha Hashem ha That's not a bad gedula. It's not a gedula that should be cut down. On the contrary, it's a gedula that has to be embraced, that has to be elevated. So this is generally a klal, that whenever a person is, uh, whenever Yiddishkeit is breaking a person, is crushing a person, and making the person feel valueless, then it's not Judaism. This cannot, be, this cannot be emphasized enough times. If in the name of Judaism or religion, somebody is being crushed, they come out of a conversation with their rabbi, Rosh Hashiva, Mashgiach, or themselves, and they feel that I am worthless, I'm valueless, I'm insignificant, I'm a loser, everybody hates me, the world hates me, God hates me, certainly the people hate me, then we're teaching them something wrong. What we're trying, that's why, that's the point. The chametz is the type of, you want to get rid of the type of arrogance that doesn't allow you to be able to realize your true esteem, your true value, your true significance. We want to get rid of the camouflaged arrogance that is eclipsing and covering up for the real sense of self-worth that comes from the fact that you are, so to speak, part of God. Like the limbs of the body, every limb is different. But nonetheless, they're all unified by one Ratzon that integrates all of them and they're all part of it. And in that sense, they're all one. All the Evarim are one. There's actually no differentiation on the level of Ratzon. The level of Ratzon pervades all of the Evarim in a uniform, in an identical fashion. But if it's crushing, if it's breaking somebody to the point that they feel that I am worthless, there's no I left, and they just despair, then there's something off. It's not Yiddishkeit, it's not Judaism. It's a very important idea. So even though there is the time when Chametz is Asr, because at that point, when you're trying to leave Mitzrayim, yes, you have to know the pitfalls of this um, exaggerated self-importance where you're not allowing yourself to see clearly your limitations or your addictions or your Mitzrayim, your, your Golos. In order to get out of it, you have to be able to flatten the bread, which is really complete vulnerability complete exposure, complete honesty, cannot be arrogant anymore. But ultimately the kavana is that a person should find the self and see it as being aligned with l'chash ha-magdullah and then fakert, shvuas yudavka have to have chametz. Because it's not your exaltedness, it's God's exaltedness that's being expressed through you. It's a different type of self-worth. It's a different type of self-worth. It's the ultimate self-worth. Because God's is God, God's self-worth is, is non-negotiable. It's true. And that worth is being expressed through me because I'm part of it. If you're not following your roots, why shouldn't you be crushed? <laughs> why should somebody be crushed? Why shouldn't they be? If, the, if they're not doing the Because what you want to crush is you want to crush that which is not really you. You want to get rid of that which attaches itself to you and claims that it's you. That you want to get rid of. That's like the chametz on Pesach that you want to get rid of. That's the ego that's taking you away from being yourself. But when you could really, really be in touch with your true self, then you don't want to take that away. On the contrary, you want to celebrate it. You want to accentuate it. So self-worth, right? Self-esteem. There's two types of self-esteem. There's a self-esteem that comes at the expense of others. And there's a self-esteem 
that actually comes, creates more closeness with others. Bittel doesn't mean that I'm not important at all. Bittel means that you are so important. It's a very big difference. You understand the difference? In a good relationship, in a good marriage, right? what's Bittel? Bittel doesn't mean I'm a shma to do whatever you want. No, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm not important. Bittel just means I understand how important I am in a way that as a result of that you're also very important. You're also very important. That's what it means. So therefore there's an alignment between the person's self and, the, and its source, the divine self. And then you want to celebrate your identity. You want to celebrate your character. You have to value it. Like Kumar says, Chayav Adam Loimar, Bishvili Nivra Ailam. So is that arrogant? It could sound very arrogant. If you believe the whole world was created for you, that's pretty arrogant. Right? To walk into your office and say, by the way, you were created for me. You were created for me. Tell your wife, you were created for me. Tell your shvigar, you were created for me. Good luck. So uh, everyone was created for me. So the person has to be institutionalized. But Chazal say, This was delusional. What is it, delusional? The whole world was created for me. Of course it could sound very arrogant and really very stupid, like, you know, wake up and get with the program because nobody believes it besides you. <laughs> right? They say, how do you drown a narcissist? You put mirrors on the bottom of the ocean. You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, he's not, he can't detach himself from himself. So you got to be able to get... Uh, Huh? You like that? Okay. You even know who it applies to, right? I see from your smile. Somebody else besides myself. Always. Always that way. It's always somebody else. It's always somebody else. Um, You know, there's, there's... There's ignoring yourself and there's getting above yourself. And the two are very different. You know, people drink or do other things because they want to forget themselves. doesn't help. What we're talking here is about getting above yourself. Getting above yourself meaning that you do not see yourself in narrow terms. You get above yourself as a trap. In other words, you, ele- you sublimate yourself to the place that yourself becomes far broader than you, you imagined, rather than a narrow self. So Chametz on Pesach is basically limiting the self. It's making you closed up to reality. It's closing you up like a person who can't be criticized. A person you can't have a normal conversation with. They're very defensive. They always have to be right. So who's in prison? They're in prison. Because if you always have to be right and you could never be wrong, then there's no growth. Then you're a a dead man walking. The Nitziv says, Eseloi Ezer Kenegdah. Right? We spoke about this. The azer comes from opposition. The greatest help that your wife can give you is by disagreeing with you. You don't have to repeat this. <laughs> I mean, if you want, you could repeat it, but uh, I wouldn't if I were you. What did you learn this morning, Hannah? <laughs> that you should disagree with me. We're going away for Shabbos. No, okay, we're not. <laughs> so, Eselayezer can negative. What does this mean? It means a big person is open to opposition. Not because it's a mitzvah to oppose your spouse. There's no such a mitzvah. Maybe there is, I don't know. But uh, the nekudah is that a person who cannot be criticized, they're ultimately, there's no growth. You can't have conversations, you can't have a relationship. There's no give and take. So the arrogance puts me into a very small place. 
I'm very big because I'm very small. That's why I have to be so big. But when you're really very big, then you could be small. Because smallness doesn't take away from your bigness. Put it this way. I can't be vulnerable if I have to be perfect. If I have to be perfect, I can't be vulnerable. If I have to make believe I'm perfect, how can I be vulnerable? If I'm vulnerable, you may think I'm not perfect and that will destroy me. But what if my value comes from within? So then vulnerability won't destroy me. Then I could go over to you and say, come, I have to share something very vulnerable. And it's very embarrassing. So what's going to happen? So if my sense of existence is not coming because I truly exist, it's coming because I make believe I exist, because I show that I exist, because I have a beautiful mask that's very impressive. The moment you take a needle and you want to go within the mask, I get crazy. So that's why I always have to look good. I have to look good for everybody, because if I don't look good, it equals death. At least in my own mind, emotional death. So therefore, I could never be honest, not with others, and ultimately not with myself, and certainly not with God. So a person says, davening is not working for him. Of course davening is not working for him. If somebody is not honest, even to human beings, he thinks he could be honest to Hashem. Madach, you can be open up to one, you can open up to another person, and another person is a tangible person. You still can't be open with them. You think suddenly by davening you can open up to God. It doesn't work that way. To the whole world, I'm closed up. My wife doesn't know me. My friends, don't, nobody knows me. Suddenly by davening, oh, I'm going to be honest. It doesn't work that way. It's ridiculous. It's delusional. But what about a person? who has authentic value, meaning their gedula comes from you're great, and that's why I'm great. That's a whole different type of greatness. That's a greatness that's non-negotiable. It's essential. It's not because I look good to you, therefore I'm great. This is because I'm connected to the divine. If I'm connected to the divine, now my vulnerability won't destroy it. What's going to be destroyed? That I made a mistake? Okay, I make a lot of mistakes. That I'm human? Of course I'm human. But there's an eye that's connected to Hashem. It's a reflection of Hashem. It's part of Hashem. And even my animal soul is ultimately created by God. Soiv of Kalalman doesn't differentiate. It encompasses everything. So therefore, I could be completely open. I could be real. I could be accountable. I could say, I'm sorry. I can be in a real relationship without the fear of constantly trying to show that I have a perfect image because the lack of perfection will not destroy my core. Why won't it destroy my core? Because my core is essentially existing. Because it's essentially existing. So therefore, what's going to happen? So you'll find out that I am far, far from perfect. Okay, so now what? So now what? So now we can have a real relationship with my true self. It can be an authentic, an authentic contact. But for this, you have to appreciate your true value that goes beyond your external value. Your typhus? So what does Bishvili Nivra'ila mean? Bishvili Nivra'ila means that there's something in my life that the whole world needs. To put it in simple terms, a birthday, Right? We, we, we appreciate, the, the, says Chazal say, your Shalmi says, but a birthday is Mazali Gaiver. What's the concept of a birthday? You were born. What does it mean you were born? Well, born means it's the day that God basically said that uh, my world will be 
impoverished without you. My world can be uh, seriously enhanced and enriched through your existence. Somehow we need your existence. Why you? There's something in your life that the entire universe on all of history and existence needs. So that's why I could say, There's something I need to contribute to the conversation of history and of life that nobody before me or after me will be able to contribute. And the same is true with you and you and every individual. It's not because I am superior to other people and therefore I can denigrate, I can crush. It's not because of this fake grandeur that I possess. It's the genuine Kedusha that every person expresses in their soul that nobody else has. It's a light that you express just like the limbs of the body. Every limb has its unique function and no limb can compensate ultimately for the other one. I mean, if there's no breda, you know, we try to do different things, but generally every aver has its shlichus, its mission. So when you look at a person, this is what you see, and this is what a person has to see in themselves. They can't just look at their existence and say, it doesn't matter this or that. No, but shvili nivra oilam. For me, there's something that the whole world was created for. In other words, if I don't do what I have to do, the whole world is affected. Because this is something that only I could contribute to the kavana of existence. Bishvili nivra There's other nekudas that you have to do, and for that bishvilcha nivra And without this, the whole world, so to speak, is not the same. With it, the world is transformed. And that's the meaning of existence from a Jewish perspective. The meaning of existence is that there's something at stake in your existence that is absolutely indispensable. Completely indispensable. Yutaifus. I'll finish with a nice story. Very Gishmaka Meister brings out the point very well. There was a uh, an Italian um, conductor. His name was uh, Arturo Toscanini. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. Photographic memory. Brilliant in music and nuance. He died in 1959. It's a big Oye of Yisrael. It's a whole story, but it's not for now. He fought Hitler and Mussolini. He was a good man, Toscanini. A real Italian uh, conductor, like uh, Italian conductors. But the Gantz is Pashtas. So I read once that he had a biographer who was writing a biography about him. So he called him and he said, Toscanini, can I come over to you tonight to interview? He says, tonight I'm busy. He says, what are you doing? He says, he used to conduct a symphony overseas and he gave it over to somebody. And through shortwave radio, they had that shortwave radio, he's going to be able to hear it. So he wants to listen to the symphony. She says, can I watch you listen to your, it's his symphony? He says, yeah, but if you don't interrupt me, don't say anything, because I have to concentrate. Fine, so the biographer comes, and he listens. And Toscanini is listening very intently. At the end, the biographer tells him, wow, that was beautiful. He says, nah, 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 <laughs> wasn't good. He says, what wasn't good? He says, it's a violin missing. <laughs> There was a violinist who was supposed to play. He wasn't there. So he thought he's crazy. How did he know from the listening over the radio? The next day, he calls the conductor overseas, and he asks him if everybody showed up last night. He says, actually, there were supposed to be 15 violinists, and only 14 showed up. So he goes back to Toscanini, and he says, I don't understand. You're listening to a symphony over the radio. There are 150 instruments playing, including 14 violins. How in the world do you know that one violin was missing? So Toscanini tells him that's the difference between you and me. You're the audience. 
but I'm the creator of the music. <laughs> so therefore, I knew that these notes require 15 violins. And when I heard that some notes were not met, they were not played, I knew that a violin was missing. So that's the difference. So in many ways, it's a very good uh, marshal, I think, also for the Bishvili Nivra Ha'ilam. In other words, from the audience's perspective, a violin is missing, a few notes are missing, who cares? Okay, next. It was a nice evening. But from the one who wrote the music, from the composer's point of view, and from the conductor's point of view, every note is indispensable. Something is off in the symphony. So Bishvili Nivra Ha'ilam means the more you recognize your true value, the more you recognize how indispensable you are. And this is not a steer to humility. On the contrary, this comes from humility and this increases humility because it's not about a self-value that makes believe I'm perfect or a self-value that's based on a fake uh, delusion that I'm something who I'm not. No, this is a self-value that comes on the contrary for my complete oneness with my source, which means I can be perfectly humble and honest about my flaws and my mistakes and things that come because of different forces that exist in a person. So this was the key, the difference between Pesach and Shavuos, where Pesach Chametz is Aser and Shavuos Fakert Chametz is a Chiyuv in the Beis HaMikdash, which they are has to be Chametz. Because uh, with Torah, which represents the Gili of Ratzin HaAlyin, the revelation of uh, Hashem's will, there's absolutely no Rishus HaRab, there's only a Rishus HaYachid. There's no room for fragmentation and separation. So then even the Midah of Hisnasus, the quality of, uh, of exaltedness, which at the time of Pesach could be seen as something that, has, that can have a negative impact, is completely seen as something holy on Shavuos without any room that something negative like Gaiva, Yeshus of Klippa, uh, you know, unholy arrogance, narcissism, will emerge from it. Because it depends basically where the self is. If the self is in a, in a messy place, then you have to be very careful with that self. Because it can lead you down, uh, it can lead you down dangerous paths. But if the self is in a very powerful and a good and a wholesome place, on the contrary, then that self is very, uh, ought to be celebrated and ought to be embraced. So the question is, which self and where the self is, in what place? So there's a time in a person's life which would be Pesach. We speak here about Pesach and Shavuos. It's not just times in the calendar. It's, spa- it's mental spaces. That's the point. Pesach always exists. And Shavuos always exists. And Sviris Oimer always exists. That's the whole point here. The point here is that these, these moments in the calendar highlight certain ideas in Yiddishkeit. And in those times, they're very much emphasized and accentuated. But the concepts exist. You know, Pesach is a daily experience, like he said. It's all a daily process. It's just times in the calendar when we accentuate certain qualities and components of Yiddishkeit. I just think it's an important uh, detail to emphasize. So uh, the question really is where the self is. There's a, to, to give a simple example, I mentioned before addiction. Somebody who's in a, full of, of negative habits and so forth, they know that they can't trust themselves. Um, because if they trust themselves, they're so manipulative to themselves and to others that the moment they trust themselves, they will be, uh, they'll be completely in the dark. They have to be an open book. They have to be completely humble and vulnerable. Even a drop of chametz, a masha of chametz will destroy them. If an addict comes to a therapist or comes to a group and says, I'm going to be 99% honest, but one secret I'm going to keep, it's not going to work. 
because it's not about how much percent. It's about the fact that you did not, you're not ready to break the shell. You're not ready ultimately to uh, lay yourself beer. Beer is in B-A-R-E. Sorry for the Brooklyn uh, accent. So uh, you you know what it means to lay yourself beer? Beer, B-A-R-E. Open, yeah? <laughs> Very good. Everybody understands that word. In Yiddish, na- naked is naked. So if a person says, but no, I'm, I have a little chametz, a little, you know, something I'm going to protect. That thing that I'm protecting, ultimately, it may be it may be completely destructive and lethal. Because I know who I am. And when you know that, you have to be completely, completely open, completely vulnerable. There can't be even a drop of chametz. There has to be complete matzah. And if there's even a mashu chametz, the whole thing becomes asr and Pesach. That's Pesach because a person is in Egypt and trying to get out of Egypt. And you're not going to get out of Egypt if you have even a drop of chametz in your life. Once there was this whole process of Sphere Saimer and this process of Shavuos, where the person actually comes into alignment with a deeper self, a person expo- discovers a deeper self, and a higher self, so it's not that the self essentially is evil and bad and horrible. Then the sense of his nasus, the sense of exaltedness, is all part of a person's kedusha. It's part of a person being a part of Hashem and knowing that he has a mission of God, from God and he's indispensable and, uh, and he's in a relationship with Hashem and Hashem wants to express himself through him. So then the sense of his nasus, the sense of what you might call inflation or self-importance, is not one that breeds narcissism, selfishness, arrogance, manipulation, abuse, lies, and so forth. On the contrary, it breeds empowerment, and, and, and productivity and success and even more love. And responsibility. And responsibility, right. And responsibility, yes. Yeah. So that's the key difference. So he says, V'zehu tachlis nesinus Yisrael. And this is the ultimate objective of giving the Torah of the Jewish people, to the Jewish people. K'day she'yiyya gilu yizesha l'mayla mayla me'ishtalshalos l'mata v'bchinas v'seydir e'ishtalshalos basic ha the sikum, the summation of everything we explained is that the tachlis of the giving the Torah of the Jewish people is to give them the gift. And the gift is, in his words here, that it should have the gilui of l'mayla me'ishtalshalus in hishtalshalus. What does this mean? Matan Torah, Torah captures the Ein Soif itself, the energy of the Infinite One itself, but that which is beyond Hishtashlus. Hishtashlus means the whole cosmic order, the whole cosmic structure. As he explained earlier, there's Mamali Kalaman. And then there is Soiv of Kalaman, as explained at length. And Toida, Matan Toida, Toida represents that which is Soiv of Kalaman. So it's Lamaila Meshtashlus, but it should be able to come in to Hishtashlus, meaning into the cosmic order, into the human soul in an internalized way, through learning Torah. And that's why the Torah is the prerequisite for the Yira, for the ultimate Yira, the Yira Ilah. That's the meaning of the beginning of Asar Sadibris. Hashem spoke all these words. The question in the beginning of the Maimer was, why does it say, It could have just said, we know that he's going to say all these words. You don't have to say, Hashem spoke all these words, and then tell me what all these words are. It just says, Hashem, 
it always says Vaidabra Shamal Moishalem. It doesn't say Vaidabra Shamal Moisha. Everything that we're gonna say now. Vaidabra Shamal Moisha and tell me what he said. Vaidabra al Kimas Kaladvaramela means Hashem spoke all the words, meaning the whole Torah. That generation, of future generations, that a Jew should be able to say the whole tachlis of kol of the whole Torah, all the words of Torah is lamer that a Jew should be able to reveal, should be able to say the revelation of which is his essence, which completely transcends. The order of the cosmos, which is Anoichi. Anoichi doesn't even have a name. Anoichi means I. What part of I? I is my essence, which transcends any limitation, any definition, any description. That is I. That Anoichi should become yours. Anoichi is I. Hashem is already a name. Elekecha is your God. The only name of Hashem that becomes relatable to people individually and changes is Hashem Elekim. No other name changes. Elikim is almost tailor-made. Elikim, Elikecha, right? Elikai, Elikechem. It becomes relatable individually to people because Elikim represents Midas Hatzimtzum, Amalekalam, the divine energy that is custom-made to every soul. That's why it's a name that is, so to speak, it's a pliable name. That's probably a good word. It's pliable. It literally changes. You don't have that in other names. Yudke Vavke is Yudke Vavke. I don't care if it's talking about the plural or the individual. But a Likim, really, you have a Likim, which is the noun, and then you have a Likai, right? A Likainu, our God, my God, your God, our God, their God, his God, a Likov, a Likecha, a Likechem, a Likainu, etc. Because that's what it represents. So it's very different than Anoichi. Anoichi is I beyond names. In other words, that which you don't even have a name for because you can't describe. It's not relatable. Like we explained that a name is always that aspect of you which I define. In other words, the way I know you, that is your name. Like you say, somebody has a good name. Somebody has a name, a reputation. A name generally represents you as you are grasped by people outside of you, including yourself, how I know myself. That's the name. The name itself, you have Shem Havaya and Shem Alekim. Shema Avaya is already a name that's transcendent. Shema Lekim is a name that is very custom-made. Anoichi is beyond names. The Chiddush of Matan Torah is Kol Advanim Lamer, that by a Jew, there should be able to be the Lamer, the revelation of that Anoichi should become a Lekecha. There should be a relationship with Anoichi, and that relationship should completely permeate you, and that happens through Limud Torah. That's what Torah does. The Gili of Matan Torah, Kol Advanim allowed that every Dibur of Torah should have this, that the Ein Soif Baruch Hu should be able to be a Lekecha by you. Like we say by Kriyashma right after. These words, which are Divrei Torah, is Anoichi Mitzavcha. They connect the Anoichi. Mitzavcha always means not only a commandment, but also from the word Tzavcha, which means a bond. Through these words, Anoichi Mitzavcha, I connect to you. There's a tzafsa, there's a connection between anoichi and the person with your heart. But this gili, as we said in Tarek, could sometimes be only mazli chazi. Because it's so powerful that the higher part of the neshama, which learns the higher part of Tarek, experiences it. In other words, I could learn Tarek and completely not see any of this. Just like my neshama down here can't see any of it. 
But the mazel of my neshama experiences the mazel of Torah. So sometimes it's only on a level of mazel. The question is, how much am I in touch with my own mazel? That I can even feel this year. That's why Chazal say you have to have together with Kriya Shema and with Torah, you have to have oil mitzvahs, which is Yirit HaTah. This is the second parish of Shema. You focus on mitzvahs. Because without the mitzvahs, there's no kiyom, there's no endurance to the Amshach of Torah, like we said before. Without, nisu, without Kiddushin, there can't be Nisuyan. Without Ha'isha Niknis Bekesef, there won't be Bia. The Bia won't be one that's significant halachically. Because Kiddushin has to happen through the Tabas, then it could be through Nisuyan. Without Kachena B'mitzvah Secha, you won't have a Sein Chalkeinu B'Sayra Secha. For it to have a Kiyum, there always has to be the framework, the commitment, the Yiri Tata, the commitment to the relationship. And then there could be the Yiri Law. The Yiri Law is the absolute Hisbatlos, the absolute oneness that I cannot even initiate through my own process. Rather, it always comes through something that enters into my space, not something that I, uh, I initiate. And that, is, and that is the absolute gift of Torah. So therefore, based on what we explained here, we understand why the Torah says by Shavuos, not Nidvas Lipcha, because he says, Nidvas Halev is the giving that comes from the feeling of your heart, that you feel in your heart generosity. Nidvas Yotcha is the Nesina that comes because of the revelation of God's will, and then the hand just gives on its own, without toil and effort on your part, because there's a complete oneness with God's will. That's why on Shavuos, Chametz is used, because when you have that Gilu, everything goes into uh, the realm of Kedusha, and that's why the Tachlis, the objective of Matan Torah, is the Hizgalos of Anoichi, which is beyond the Shtalshlos, in a way that it becomes a Lekechad, becomes your God, and this happens through the learning of Torah in which the Ein Saif dwells, through the introduction of Ol Mitzvahs. So now, based on this, if we now go back to the questions in the beginning, in the, to, to the questions in the beginning of the Maimah, so we could uh, here sum up, uh, sum up the idea. In the beginning of the Maimah, the Balatanya asked the question, I hope you remember it. <laughs> it was a while ago, it was before Shavuos we started. The beginning of the Maimer, he started by Dabra Elikim as Kol Advarim Leimer, and he asked, "What's as Kol Advarim Eila?" Should have said by Dabra Elikim Anoichi. So this is what he went back. What he went back. Uh, what he went back to that as Kol Advarim Eila refers to all elements of Torah, the whole Torah Shabbat, but also Eila, the whole Torah, Torah, Torah Shabbal Peh. It's all part of the Aseris Adibris. and all of it is by Dabra Elikim as Kol Advarim Eila. That's what it's Kol Advarim Eila. It refers to everything of Torah. Why is it said then? That was number one. Then he asked the question, why was the Torah given with such fanfare and such drama when the message of the Aserah Sadibra seems quite simple? At least a lot of it. Like Sirtzach, like Sinaf, like Signaf. It's the basis, the, basis of every, uh, the basis of every civilization. So he starts saying that the Tachlis of Nesinah of Torah, there should be the Gili of Oyrein Saif, the Ein Saif, which is enclosed in Torah. And it should be access to a person in physicality. So by Dabra Lakim is Kaladvarimelis, in order there should be a Naikya Shamalakha, that Kaladvarimelis to be able to experience a Naikya Shamalakha, that the Naikhi should become a Shamalakha, but the preparation for that has to happen through Svirisaimer. In order to explain this, he started with a whole explanation of understanding the contrast between learning and mitzvahs. 
in Yiddishkeit. On one hand, we say Talmud is Gadol Mimaisa. The Gemara says Talmud Gadol Shemevi Lidei Maisa. Not only that, the Gemara says in Mayit Katan that Kol Chafetzim Layishvuba that no mitzvahs come close to Torah. Even Chefzei Shemayim, the Yerushalmi says in Peya that all the mitzvahs together don't come even to one vart of Torah. Kol Hamitzvus Edom Kedai even of Dover Echad Medivere Torah. So that's the contrast. On one hand, we say that all the mitzvahs don't come close to Torah. Yet Chazal say Talmud Gadol because maybe the Maisa because it brings to Maisa. In other words, the main thing is Maisa. That's what the Gemara says in Kedush. So he says in Bavli, there's a contradiction. The Gemara says in Mayat Katan that Kol Chafetzim Lo Yishvul Ba. So therefore, Torah is higher than all the mitzvahs. On the other hand, it says Kol Chafetzechol Lo Yishvul Ba. Only your Chafetzim are not close to Torah, but Chafetz Shemayim are. So what's greater, Talmud Torah or mitzvah? So the Gemara answers Mitzvah Sheaf Shalasasai Deacherim, a mitzvah that you could do through other people. You're not Mavatel Talmud Torah. Torah is greater. All the mitzvahs are not kedai for one union of Torah. But if it's a mitzvah that you can do through somebody else, then you have to be mevatel Torah. So he says he doesn't understand. The whole concept of Torah is you're learning how to do the mitzvah. So how could you say that learning how to do the mitzvah is more significant than actually doing the mitzvah? I'm sitting and learning Masech the Trumah, so I'm learning about the dinam of Trumah, and now I could go and do the mitzvah. And I say, no, 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 if I could send the shliach, you do it. I'm going to continue learning how to do it. It seems very funny. It's very strange. Learning how to do it is greater than actually doing it. The whole learning is you're learning, you're learning, you're learning how to do b'tikas chametz. All the halachas. No, you do it because I'm busy learning. Unless you have to do it because you can't do it through somebody else. It's a very, uh, it's a very strange thing. The whole tachlis of l'chayda talmud is to to understand how to do it. So you have to say that there's something in Torah that is so powerful that all the mitzvahs don't come close to it. That if I could do the mitzvah through somebody else, I send them and I don't stop learning. So in order to understand this, he introduced the concept of Imein Chachma, Ein Yire, Imein Yire, Ein Chachma. The question is, with which one to begin? So from this, he went into the main big explanation of this Maimah, that there's two energies that flow from the divine to all the worlds. One is called Mamala Kalalman, and one is called Saivav Kalalman, with the long explanation of the difference between Mamali and Saivav, and how Saivav Kalalman completely transcends the differentiations of the universe, where Amalek Alman, where Amalek Alman does, with all of the examples he gave every morning, we say Atu Hashem Levadecha, that's Seiv of Kalman, and then there's Atu Asisas Hashemayim Shmei Hashemayim Ois V'Cholav Sheralai Yamim Bata Mechayes Kulam. There's you, God alone, Levadecha Seiv, and then there's Atu Mechayes Kulam in the differentiation of the universe, which relates what, which relates to Amalek, which relates to Amalek Alman. So these are the two. Two modalities, two two modalities in which one can experience the divine. And even though Seiv of Kalalman is beyond experience, nonetheless, there's the concept of Mazlayu Chazi, the source, the unconscious source of the soul, which can experience things that we don't experience consciously, and it only trickles down to us, down here. And that's the Yira that needs Torah first. Imein Chachme in Yira, without Torah, you'll never reach that concept of Yira. There's no way a person can reach that concept of Yira. It only happens through, it only happens through Torah, but in order to have that, the person first has to have Yira Tata, which is relatable to mitzvahs, which is like the Kiddushin before Nisuyin, Kachenim mitzvah secha v'sein chalkeinu secha. So Mat and Torah experienced it. They experienced this higher Yira. But there were no mitzvahs then, so he said then they had the concept of Sphere Sa'imer, which led them into the experience of Mat and Torah, 
And therefore, there's the concept that Jews, by Matveda, said Nasev and Nishma, because they understood that for generations, the only way this can happen is by having first, by having first Nasa and then Nishma. So how does this, at the end, ultimately, um, uh, answer the question about the contrast between mitzvahs and Torah? On one hand, you say, if it's a mitzvah that nobody else can do, then you have to do it. for the mitzvah. On the other hand, if it's a mitzvah that could be done through somebody else, you say that you're not mevatel Talmud for it. Because the tachlis of Torah is, Vayitzavenu, Hashem lasos has kol which is Yiri law, through the Ein Soif entering into a person's soul, and that can only happen through Limud Torah because Imein Chachma Ein Yira, the Ein Soif dwells in Chachma. So therefore, if a mitzvah that you can't do through somebody else, you have to do the mitzvah because Imein Yira Ein Chachma. If there's no Yira Tata, there won't be any Chachma. And when a person is going to be Mavatal the mitzvah essay, they will not even be able to reach Chachma because they don't have the Yira Tata. But nonetheless, there's an element where you say that all the mitzvahs don't come close to Torah. Not because if there's a mitzvah that you, nobody else will do, you don't do it. You have to do that mitzvah. But nonetheless, there's an element in which all the mitzvahs don't come close to Torah because ultimately, Torah, which is a raisa mechach manafkas, captures within it the infinity. And because it captures within it the soiv of kalalman of Hashem, the infinity. So therefore, a Jew who learns Torah enter, so to speak, into the presence of the king himself, transcending all the worlds, transcending all the restrictions, transcending all the limitations. That's why Matan Torah was with such fanfare, with such rash. It wasn't just to tell the commandment of Loisertza. Matan Torah really was a gift that throughout all of history, throughout all the generations, when a Jew learns Torah, whatever you're learning, it could be Allah could be a Mishnah, Masechta Trumas, could be a Shtikul Gemara, whatever it is, they should be able to be in Kaladvar Ma'ela, the experience that a Noichi, Hashem that which is a Noichi, the I, the deepest I, should be your God. Meaning, your God means it becomes your energy that fills your space. That's the Tachlis of the whole Torah. And in that sense, a mitzvah can't come close to Torah. That's why the Yerushalmi says in Pei that Kola mitzvahs. So b'meila, if it's a mitzvah she'ev shalasis, ayide achenim, the Gemara says in Ma'at Katan, kol chafetzim la'yishvabah. You're not mavatel it because here is the ultimate intimacy and experience with Hashem. So therefore, we we discussed at some point, you know how sometimes we look at Torah today. At least some people, you know, it becomes like this label. A kid has a good IQ and he loves sitting in yeshiva and he, you know, he's yeshiva for 10 years and he has a good head and, and you know he's not so into the social life and he's great with the books and, and it's wonderful. And, uh, and you have another boy who may be far more sensitive and far more refined uh, but doesn't maybe have the same you know, IQ and the same ability to learn. And somehow this person is deemed greater than the other person. A lot of people look at this and it's doesn't always seem fair or just because, you know, you were given certain gifts, you know, you have a certain, you know, learning takes a certain type of head to be maslich and learning, at least on the level that we call learning today in limited environment, but some people take that environment very seriously. So, uh, so it seems a little like, you know, unfair and unjust, how does this work? 
But I think here we understand that the whole, um, the whole concept of Torah is to be understood differently. The real experience of Torah is actually bittel. It's complete oneness with God. It's the ultimate of a spiritual experience. It's, 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 it's the highest level of refinement because it's not even the year that you can achieve through your own. It's the year law when you come into the presence of the king and it's that which overwhelms you from outside of you. It's not even something you initiate on your own. And the value here doesn't have to do with uh, how much you know. I mean, it, it, a person knows it's a gewaldic thing. But the value here of Torah is one that is very individualized in the sense that it's not about a competition between how much you manage to cover in a day or an hour or a week. But it's really about a relationship with Hashem that exists in Torah. So therefore, every person, what they're learning, one person maybe learns five lines, another person learns a blot, another person learns seven blot, another person covers a tremendous amount of ground, another person goes deeper, another person is more superficial, another person masters a huge amount, other people can't. But the focus is not if there's a parameter, and if you know this, you're considered great, and if you don't know this, you're considered, you know... I don't want to say a loser, but maybe that's the right word. You consider it not great. It's really not about that. It's completely about the relationship with Hashem that is a gift that a Jew can experience through limit HaTorah. Any Jew in any situation, when he learns Torah, has this. What is the difference Because Torah itself has a tremendous thing that mitzvahs don't have. But if somebody's not going to do the mitzvah, so he may yira ain't chachma. It's like you don't go to Nisuyim without Kiddushim. So therefore, there has to be the mitzvah. Because the mitzvah is the framework of the relationship. The commitment to the relationship. You don't jump to Yiri Ilah before Yiri Tata. was once a Shavuizdik Fabreng in the Lubavitcher Rebbe was talking about learning. So he said a beautiful marshal what Torah means. What learning Torah means. Very, very, very moving marshal. He said that... Uh, you have a child who's home all day, a little baby, and the father is away all day at work. And the father comes home in the evening and walks into the house. So he says, a baby, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, one-year-old, sees Tati. So what does the baby do? The baby excitingly screams and runs to the door and lifts up his or her hands to show Tati, pick me up. And the father picks up the child the child just wants to remain there, you know, until they feel that security and that sense of coziness and safety embraced by father. The same, of course, is with a mother who comes home. And they just embrace them. And you'll ask the child, so to speak, what's the purpose of this? What are you gaining from this? You're not getting a candy. You're not getting ice cream. But the child doesn't even understand the question. The tachlis is just to be in the bosom embraced by my father, haven't seen him a whole day, I missed him. Just to experience that intimacy, that is the most precious experience for the child. And everybody knows, anybody who has children, you come home to that uh, experience, it's a very, uh, it's a very precious thing. And those of us who are still lucky to have children that age should uh, cherish the experience, because it doesn't last forever. Because once they hit a certain age, they ain't hugging you when you come home in the evening, you should be happy if they look at you, and if you ask them a question and they answer you, it may even be a miracle, right? Some of you are in that stage of life. So when they're still two years old and they still look at you and they think you're God's gift to humanity, 
before they become teenagers and they know how uh, undeveloped and primitive. Uh, Mark Twain once said, when I was nine, my father was a genius. When I was 19, he was a moron. Now I'm 29. I have a few of my own kids and my father has some interesting wisdom and education. It's funny how much the old man learned in 10 years. So uh, it's, it's something to cherish. I'm just saying that because sometimes people are waiting for their kids to grow up. There's something very valuable about uh, the innocence of little children who think that dad is impeccable and flawless. And maybe dad is, they just need a few extra years to see it when they get married and have a few of their own kids. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that that's essentially the experience of a Jew also. He says, Ayid is at work a whole day. He's stressed, he's overwhelmed, he's burdened, this problem, that challenge, even if it's Patatzlacha, the job, but it's still a lot of stress. So he says, he comes home at night, what does a child do the first thing? Runs into the bosom of his father. Why? There's no why. He just wants to be embraced, and there's no embrace he says, like, the embrace in his father's bosom, there's no sense of comfort. He says, a Jew comes home. The natural, instinctive thing he does first is, he said, as I said, he said, Why is he taking a blood gemara? <laughs> because he says, in that way, he, so to speak, escapes and transcends all the stress of the world, and he flies into the loving embrace of his father in heaven just to spend time with each other, because there's no intimacy like the intimacy of Torah. Now, we all know that a person could learn and not see that intimacy. You're just learning about, you know, technical things. And some of you know how technical it can get. It can get very, very technical. But there's two things. First of all, that itself is Hashem's wisdom. That is the wisdom. So God is there in the wisdom. And the truth is that every element of Torah is many layers. So even that pshat is a reflection of very deep spiritual energy that's there. The question is, which level of Torah are you in contact with? And which level of your soul you're in contact with? But whichever level you're in contact with, the Torah down here that we have is that same Torah. As if I get more or less out of that, if I see more or less of that spiritual experience, it doesn't change the fact that it's that Torah. And even the most level, basic level of Pshat is Chachmas, it's Hashem's wisdom. And in the neshama, how deeply I'm connected with my own soul. But the mazel of Torah and the mazel of the neshama experience the full intimacy. And a certain trickle of it comes down even into the human consciousness down here when a Jew learns Torah. So this has very little to do with IQ. This has little, very little to do with who's going to become the next gadol, who's not going to be the next gadol. This has very little to do with uh, who graduates with honors and who becomes, goes on to this yeshiva or that yeshiva. That's all social stuff, social norms. Some of it are good, some of it are not so good, some of it are blessings, some of it are curses, etc. What we're talking here about is the experience of Torah in a very personalized, intimate, individual way, which relates to every single Jew in every single matzah. Have a wonderful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.